Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. We're back after a little break. I'm Mike. I'm Jose. You've been on holiday. I've been on a cultural tour of <laughs> uh, Sweden and Denmark. How very cultural. And what did you learn? I went to the Danish Film Institute and I went to the Swedish Film Institute and I got a chance to see a lot of really interesting films. Uh, and I learned a lot, but not uh, uh, something to uh, talk about in this podcast. No, this podcast is about Black Panther. Which I, in fact, did see uh, in Stockholm earlier. So unlike our usual podcast, which is really just we see a film blind without having read anything about it. Uh, and then we come immediately here and, and, and just talk about what we've seen. In this one, actually, because uh, Black Panther has been such a phenomenon, uh, we have, in fact, kind of read some stuff on it. And, in fact, we've both had the opportunity of seeing the film before. Yeah, so we've, so we've both seen it individually, and then we've both just been to see it for a second time today. That's right. Which is what we've come back from. So we've so, already there's already been an ongoing conversation. It came out this weekend, and I think broke box office records. I think it broke the uh, opening weekend record. Yeah, It doubled uh, Justice League's. Yes. Justice League did about $90 million, and this did about 180 Yes, and... Uh, one of the things that has been fascinating me, really, is not just the many discourses around it, which we'll get to in, in a little bit, but um, I had the opportunity of seeing the film in Sweden and now here in Birmingham. And in Sweden, it was really fascinating because, you know, kind of there are all these, it was all full of like Aryan Vikings, really. And every joke seemed to land, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and I, and I kept thinking like, what what are these, you know, tall Swede, blonde Swedes responding to uh, in this film? And, and, and they responded to everything, all the colonial jokes and everything. And actually watching it just now in Birmingham was interesting because there seemed to be a fight at the back, right? You know, so... Both times I've seen it in Birmingham, there's been really bad behavior in the audience. Mm. The first time I saw it, it the, the cinema was completely packed out. There wasn't a seat left. Uh, in the place, which was which was quite good, and it was a real. It was a, a we saw it on uh, Sunday evening, mm. and it was a real weekend crowd. It was it was it was kind of a young rowdy crowd yes. that was really up for it, and everyone was really excited to see it. You could tell, you know. Yes. I mean, so was I as well. Even though the fact I was incredibly tired, people were unusually piggy in the audience. Uh, you know, like sometimes you get a film in which somebody answers their phone, or you know, in the middle of it starts messaging. But actually, the crowd for this particular film, I thought was a bit out of control. Well, in fact, it was out of control. You should have you seen know. it the other day. It was worse. Yeah? Yeah, it was. Well, I, I mean, I think maybe a, a, a positive way of seeing it is that the film is drawing a crowd that's not used to going to the cinema. That's the corollary that I was going to get to. Like, it was also, you know, we talk about film being, or the cinema being... A, a communal experience we sing film in a crowd and it's very different to seeing a film on your own yes and and it was kind of exciting like it, it got annoying at points there was particularly two guys behind me who were on their phones the whole time and that was incredibly fucking annoying yeah. but but the experience of a crowd in fact it was like that when I went to see Magic Mike mm. um, the crowd was rather like that like really up for it and wanting a sort of like, like wanting a show yeah you know um, and so that made it a, a kind of a really fun experience Yes. Um, well, I mean, for me, both times, it's been a really fun experience. So, so what, do you, what do you think of it? It's, it's so smart. It's a film that's made by the African diaspora, yes. about the African diaspora, for the African diaspora. And it's kind of, it's made like, we talk, we, we talk a lot, you and I, about, um, about black actors, in particular, black British actors, uh, especially to kind of taking American roles. Mm. We talk about that a lot because it's something that's come up. And, I, I, and we've said before, uh, Samuel Jackson had a lot to say about it, that mm. it was, you know, you need to have that experience. And, and when you don't come from the same country, it's not the same. But in this film, there are black actors from all over the world coming together. And, actually, and it feels like really deliberate and really purposeful because this is a film about how, how, how Africa was stolen by colonizers and black people were spread across the world by no fault of their own, by no means of their own, yes. and how um, they th th there's a kind of struggle to maintain a kind of 
core black identity, perhaps, or um, or, or the kind of tension. So, for instance, Killmonger. Obviously, we're going to get into spoiler territory early on. Like this is, you know, you've got to have seen the movie, and you should go and see it. It's brilliant. So, um, so, so Killmonger, the villain, played by Michael B. Jordan, is African American. And I don't just mean that to mean black the way that the way that Americans you know kind of refer to black people, but literally he's African American. He's half Wakandan, his dad, and half American, yes. his mum, and he grows up in between these two cultures. And it's like he's like, if you think about African American as a term, like like you're not respected as an African because you're not sort of from there, but you're not respected as an American fully because your country doesn't fully respect you. So you grow up in between these two worlds, which yeah. is exactly what his character's done. And he's kind of trying to find this identity. Yes. The, vill- the villain's amazing. People have said a lot about how the villain is the best Marvel villain there's been. Well, I think without a doubt. Without a doubt. And Marvel's uh, taken a lot of flack for his villains basically being boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, what's really interesting about Killmonger is you agree with him in part. There's a lot to learn from him. The, the, T'Challa, the, uh, the, the protagonist in Black Panther, uh, he learns from him by the end yes. so even though he's defeated and he dies like, I know, he, he, he's defeated and he dies but you learn from him and he helps the main character grow and he has a point and not only that but he's not really defeated he's true to his principle by the end his last line is amazing yes his last line about uh, he, he, he's he been he's buried at sea yeah he, he, he's been stabbed by T'Challa um and he says, we can heal you because we've got Wakanda technology. We can heal you and we can make you right again. He's like, what, just to throw me in jail? And he says, I forgot what the line is exactly, but he refers to um, slaves that threw themselves off slave ships while they were being transported from Africa mm. to America and South America. He, said, he refers to them and said they knew that dying was preferable to a life in chains. Yes. And so, and that's what he does. He he forces himself to die he, he removes the, the spear from his side and, and kills himself essentially um, because he knows that the alternative is unbearable a life of bondage and slavery which is uh, very allegorical right I mean you know it is what happens to I forget how many uh, you know what the statistics is about uh, how many uh, African American men are in jail but it's completely disproportionate it's systemic, you know, it's a kind of uh, um, enslavement in the sense that all of these black men are providing, you know, free labor uh, in prisons. Well, very lowly, but they do get paid, but it's it's, it's, it's pennies. It's slave labor. Yes, it is. There's no other way of putting it. It's the new slavery. You know, so, so actually, you know, the U.S.'s position on this is absolutely indefensible. And that is the character that Michael B. Jordan is depicting. Yeah. So, you know, some people have read the T'Challa-Killmonger uh, relationship as standing in, you know, for the uh, liberation philosophies of uh, uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King with Killmonger kind of being, you know, the Malcolm X figure, yeah, the revolutionary uh, 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 who believes in violence. Fighting fire with fire. Yes, and who has an international perspective. Uh, uh, and I see. I think you see both of those. But actually, I think the film's achievement for me is actually in lending weight to both of those positions, and actually in uh, the casting of Michael B. Jordan making the villain a more magnetic and heroic figure than actually the protagonist. So actually, though he dies, his death has a particular weight in that you know the biggest. Most charis- the biggest star and most charismatic person in all of the film is the villain. Right? Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was kind of really interesting. But I want to comment also, one of the things that caught my eye is um, in looking at the credits, the cinematographer, set design, the costume design, the, pers- the production designer, the casting person were all women. And I think in this instance, the cinematographer and the production design, you know, are both of interest because actually those are positions that are not normally filled by women. And actually you can see in the film how the film is a particular feminist stance, right? So there's T'Challa who's surrounded by women, who all the warriors are women, who is kind of protected by women, who fights alongside women, you know, uh, whose own sister is like the scientific genius who keeps inventing all of these things. 
as opposed to the people he fights against, who are almost all surrounded by men. Mm. It's really, it's, it's, it, there's, yeah, a, there's a really right. interesting feminist dynamic in the film somehow. I think the film, it, I mean, the, the, yeah, there's something really interesting going on with Killmonger in that respect. So, so there's this idea, not only is, is T'Challa surrounded by women, like there's that scene where, where he first returns to Wakanda after, um, after bringing back Lupita Nyong'o's character, Nakia. Mm. Um, he, he's surrounded by his mother, uh, uh, Nakia, his sister, and the general and her kind of subordinate, who are yeah. all women. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and this is like, the film is presenting, it's not a completely maternal world, because ultimately it's still ruled by a king, um, who, and then his son then becomes king. But nonetheless, there's, there's, a, there's an importance placed on women, uh, and, and, and then the, the central thing that gives Black Panther his powers is this flower. Yes. Which is a real symbol of femininity. It's this flower yes. that and um, that that is kind of t- used to to create this s- s- sort of soup, um, <laughs> the serum <laughs> so, yeah, that, uh, that provides Black Panther his powers. And um, and it's really interesting because that that so that is used three times. Um, it's used to first give Black Panther his powers. Then it's used to give Michael B. Jordan his powers when he becomes Black Panther. And then it's used finally to give uh, T'Challa his powers. Again, to yes. um, re-become the king, and each time, it, it so it sends you into a kind of a, a trip almost. So it sends you to the ancestral plane. It suggested that this is not really a trip. This is actually accessing a kind of other dimension where yes. your ancestors live on. And in the in this ancestral plane, there's a there's a there's a there's a real feeling of of sort of tell me how you feel, mm. like like talking to your ancestors. And so it's, it's it, they're all men in there. But they're talking to each other in, in about as honest a way as they possibly can. Like there's this thing I remember Michael Caine saying um, about about acting. He says, uh, "With crying, a woman will cry, and a man will do anything but cry." Mm. And there's this thing about about kind of resisting your own emotions, and and so these guys become about as open as they can emotionally in this dream world and yeah. still they're kind of there's just a single tear it's not like it's not a full express expression of emotion but what's really interesting is what is when Killmonger goes into his mm. trip to the ancestral plane and he, and he meets his dad again it's a, it, there's a kind of reconnecting with his dad who obviously died when he was young um, and, and you know he kind of wipes a tear away but it is this really uh, restrained thing and then he wakes up in this burst of emotion mm. you know like he's had this minor show of emotion in the dream but it explodes into violence when he wakes up and actually he, he strangles a woman yes orders the flowers to be all destroyed well I want to talk about ordering the flowers to be destroyed because the shape of those flowers it's it's they're really quite labial you know it has that that kind of shape and then, you know, when they turn it into uh, uh, this infusion, mm. it's kind of, it's like purple with molten lava, like, yeah, with a consistency of molten lava or something. So, so and, and, and those flowers are normally tended by um, uh, men. What, what's the actor who... Oh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, yeah, plays that character. Who, who tends to these flowers that kind of you know, give the king of Wakanda the powers of the Black Panther, right? It's kind of, it's a, yeah, so when we were talking before about, you know, the kind of, you know, the feminine, the masculine, mm. you know, kind of when, when Killmonger comes in, his burning of, you know, the flower is like a kind of a, a burning of the feminine in some way, I thought. Yeah, it absolutely is. And there's this thing going on with... I think there's a commentary on sort of toxic masculinity in there as well. Like I say, this idea that his, his emotional self is, is so kind of restrained within him and he doesn't know how to access it. And, he, and, then, and then when he does, when he goes into his ancestral plane and he sees his dad and, he, and he, he, he's made to cry, he doesn't know how to handle that and he's ashamed by it and he wakes up like I say and wants to destroy things because he doesn't know how to handle himself emotionally mm. there's a real commentary on I think toxic masculinity and, and the, the idea that men need to uh, learn how to express themselves emotionally and that, it, that you know, kind of accept that there's no shame in that and that it's healthy you know because if you don't, then you explode into violence and, and this unhealthy kind of way of being. Yes. 
I mean, I think one of those interesting, one of the many, many interesting things that I found about this film is that it's the first of the Marvel superhero films that I would I would not call an American film. So it begins and ends in Oakland, California, right? But in between, it really is kind of, you know, uh, uh, it feels like an international production kind of made up of kind of many different people from many different places, you know, where kind of, you know, all of Africa in the world is a presence, yeah? Mm. So the primary address of this film is not to an American audience. It is to a world audience, which includes America, though actually a lot of the jokes in the film are slightly anti-American. Yeah. So, you know... Well, there's a whole thing about the CIA guy... I love when he's referred to the, the 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 little sister who's in charge of the the science lab um, is you know incredibly cheeky and funny and like doesn't wear the the kind of traditional dress and all that sort of thing and um, and they save Martin Freeman's character who's a CIA guy um, and she goes oh don't sneak sneak up on me colonizer yes. and she says colonizer as as just a nickname yeah you know a sobriquet like it's not it's not a sort of she's not using it to insult him. Um, or you know, or, she is though. Well, no, a little bit, but like it's, it, it is, it but is. it's, it's but a it's a joke. It's a joke, right? Like, she's killing on the square. Yeah, but it's like, she, but it is nonetheless. It's it's light hearted and like she, you know, because he he individually is no threat, you know. So like it's a kind of nickname. It's it's a it's 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 delivered as a friendly nickname, but it's also you know it's mm. like it is meaningful beneath that. The, I want to highlight actually because. It's it's a film that I mean part of the wonder I, I, I there's so much I admire of it so kind of let me go in particular order uh, the production design is absolutely fantastic and it's absolutely fantastic in ways that raise questions for me on every level right so for example all of the blankets that the different people wear in them you know that they have some significance yeah that it's mm. probably like the the colors or the patterning of some part of Africa or you know some tribe. the designs of the tribes in general like the, particularly I'm thinking of the guy with the disc in his lip like that's a joke right it's a joke but it's also I don't think it's a joke well I think I mean it's it's funny that he has a huge disc in his lip and then he tries to speak it's quite funny I think it is done as a, a bit of a joke I don't I didn't see it as a joke I saw it as but, but I think it's also a different drawn. tribe <laughs> yeah absolutely um, I think th- I think there are elements that are made into jokes. So, for example, the fact that he changes the disc inside his lip <laughs> to color coordinated with whatever suit he's wearing. Yeah. So I think there are bits of it. That no, so I mean, I don't think it's like essentially yeah. done as a joke, but I think it's used as a joke. It's there's a lighthearted aspect to it, yeah. but it's not mocking. Though, though, almost everything in this film can be turned into a joke. And actually, so on the one hand, I think it's a deeply serious film. On the other hand, it is a film with a sense of humor about everything. It, it, you know, there are jokes all over, and mm-hmm. they all hit, they all land, they work. Um, but you know, it's also a film that is incredibly satisfying. I think in all levels, it looks wonderful. I thought the action was filmed wonderfully. You saw actions completed, uh, and and I love the design of the costumes. I mean, if you compare, you know, the the Black Panther costume, lithe, skin tight kind of enabling action, you know, also having particularities of, you know, of power, of movement and so on, but looking fantastic. If you compare them to uh, uh, the Batman and Superman film where, Mm. you know, kind of Ben Affleck looked like he was hiding under a tank, (laughs) Uh, um, you know, these are very, very, very striking kind of uh, use of color, of imagery, uh, done very purposefully and and every aspect of it is on the one hand very satisfying you like what you see it works on the other hand it kind of it raises questions and, and by by raising questions I don't mean as problems but as things that you want to find out more about right so mm-hmm. you know what are the designs on the faces what is the significance of the blankets you know there are particular color schemes that I'm sure have some some significance. You rarely see them in cinema in these ways. The use of the music, right? Uh, which, you know, obviously has, you know, particular African rhythms throughout. And then it has like, you know, hip hop music at the beginning and at the end in the California sequences, right? 
there seems to be like a story behind each or a purpose behind each. It's not accidentally chosen, right? Mm. Uh, Actually, the music, I mean, the kind of electronic and hip-hop elements are there throughout. They show up particularly in, in action sequences again. Yes. Um, I, mean, I, I think probably particularly with Killmonger's character, but they, you know, they kind of show up like they're integrated really nicely. Mm. You know, so you do have the you do have the kind of sort of African uh, sort of drums and kind of tribal music, and you have uh, American hip hop and electronic music, and then you also have just kind of general Marvel orchestral score, mm. all integrated really nicely. It's the first Marvel score I've heard in a long time that. I thought it was actually really good. Mm. Normally, they just kind of blend in and they're pretty anonymous. Mm. I mean, it's probably the first one in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe I can think is good. Like, the last one I think that was any good in Marvel was probably, like, the Spider-Man movies mm. before before Iron Man came out. So, you know, that's before the MCU happened. Um, so, you know, hopefully it kind of shows a, some progression that way because music's really, really important. And when it's used just as a, a, a sort of in such a basic way that Marvel has been doing for a long time. It's, it, you're missing a whole aspect to a movie. I think it's the best Marvel film so far. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it well, feels that's the most quite per- something. It, no, it really is. It feels the most purposeful, the most interesting. Um, the mo- you know, it really has something to say. In its mo- it's this thing of what we were saying about... Th- in fact, it made me think about Thor Ragnarok again because I listened to that podcast the other day. Mm. I listened back to it and... Actually, I don't think we were as unfair as... you know. I, I thought, oh, we've probably been a bit harsh on this, and actually, I don't think we were that harsh. Mm. I think we were probably about right. But we, something that we did miss in it was this kind of undercurrent that it has. In fact, it's not so much an undercurrent as a real uh, <laughs> uh, sort of plot point of, um, of Asgard's history of colonialism. Mm. There's this idea in Thor Ragnarok, which we completely didn't pick up on, about... Um, the idea that Asgard is 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 not a perfect place, I and mean, like it has a shady past, and they've 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 literally painted over their own past because when Hela comes back, the uh, the the Kate Blanchett character, she kind of reveals underneath these paintings, there's a true history of of colonialism, mm. and it's the idea of the kind of the powerful. It's like the idea of the the, the, the history being written uh, history being written by the victors, mm. you know. Um, and and so it made me think about that because then there's obviously there's a huge strain of, of talk about colonialism in this mm. uh, because there's this really interesting thing that that so they refer to the CIA guy as coloniser and there's this thing of like because I thought actually is he coloniser really like it would be more interesting if he was if he was English right because they were the true colonisers but then actually no, 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 no. no well this is what I, I'm, let me finish my train of thought because that's what I initially thought but then I thought well no the only difference really between the way that America <laughs> Uh, kind of invades the rest of the world and the way we invaded the rest of the world was that we actually claimed that it was ours and we put a flag down. Like, America doesn't say, oh, this is American land now, yes. but they go in and take everything. Yes, you know, so whole governments and take over the economy. Exactly. So, know, like, so on. So, so kind of, I immediately realised that actually it's perfectly justified that he's a CIA guy and um, uh, an American is what I mean. And, um, and, but there's this interesting thing with the tension between um, uh, T'Challa and Killmonger. So you refer to them as like being like uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X in their kind of attitude to violence mm. and, and black liberation. But there's also a thing about how... So Wakanda, Wakanda is a place that has immense uh, natural riches, mm. right? Uh, an asteroid or meteor landed there made of vibranium, which is the most valuable metal in the world, and it gives you incredible power and it can be used for all these types of things. Um, and Wakanda, the, these, these five tribes of Wakanda, um, they they connected over it and they said, we're going to keep this a secret and they shut themselves off from the rest of the world. Mm. And so they portray themselves. They are a real country. Well, Wakanda's not a real, real country, but in the in the film, Wakanda is a real country that just tells the rest of the world that we're just a normal African country yes. and they don't get involved. But secretly, kind of behind a veil, behind a technological shield, mm. they are incredibly technologically advanced and they just keep themselves to themselves. Yeah. And it's, an, it's a technology that is theirs. Yes. Yes, it's an, it's an African technology that's a bit like magic, you know, that it's so advanced scientifically that it's almost magical, but that actually has its origin and is developed through, you know, both African uh, 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 natural resources and African savvy, yeah, yes. African know-how. 
So, and that's there is, important. And there is a little bit, I mean, it's, it, the vibranium stuff is a little bit annoying insofar as it basically, it's used as this thing that can do anything. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, we sew it into our clothes and we can make stuff invisible. And it's like, it, 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 it's, there's this thing of vibranium just means magic yeah. in a way. Like, like actually Wakanda to some extent is like Hogwarts and it's like they have magic and you have to go through platform nine and three quarters to get there and you just hold yourself you keep yourself you kind well, of separate not, from the I real don't world know. that's not fair no I, I think mean, it is fair because that, no, that, that, so. that's how it's portrayed there's, there's this no. element of it's just magic no it's not just magic and actually almost every tool is explained to you so you know when you go through the suit and what the suit can do and how it absorbs force and so on they go no, they say what it can do, but there's no there's no kind of thing of like like uh, compare it to the flower, for instance. The flower that gives uh, Black Panther his powers has one uh, thing that it can do, and that's magic. That's, that's, that's what, the, but then that's magic. No, but th- th- this is what I'm comparing it to. Actually, that is that seems like less magical because that has one thing it can do, and it just does that one thing. Whereas vibranium is like it can do this and it can do that and it can do the other, and we can just make whatever we want with it. You know, see, I, up to a point, I see it, but actually, I think that the film goes to trouble to explain how each of those things work. So it's true that you don't know to what extent it's the vibranium that can do that, or is that it's the scientific know-how that can do that. But everything kind of comes. Uh, this is a minor point. This, let's, let's not get off the track. I think uh, that's just a minor point. I do think it's it's fair to make that point. Mm. Um, but where were we? So 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 the so there's this idea of of Wakanda being like. Imagine if Africa was untouched, basically, you know, because Africa does have these uh, immense natural resources, which is one of the reasons that people came there. The other reason that people came there was just to steal Africans, which that's all they're still doing, which they're still doing. But that's a different uh, issue. But the idea of kind of natural resources, geological China has bought, Um, I don't know how much of it. (laughs) Uh, so there's an idea that, like, if imagine if Africa was un- untouched, what it could have made of itself. Mm. And obviously that only goes so far because vibranium is not a real material. Anyway. Um, well, it is a comic book film, so... Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm saying the, the analogy only goes so far. Mm. But so to get back to the point that I was initially making, uh, as well as the kind of difference in in black liberation, the idea of kind of who they represent in black liberation terms or civil rights terms... There's this also there's also this difference between Killmonger and T'Challa in how they would run a country and how they see kind of so T'Challa initially wants to follow the tradition set by his father and set by all his, his uh, antecedents, which is to remain secret and keep Wakanda technology just for Wakanda and not get involved in conflicts in the rest of the world. And what Killmonger wants to do is colonize. He, I mean, it's it's spelled out. He says at one point, we will use the colonizers' tactics against them. I know how they think. He's been trained, I think, importantly, he's been trained by SEALs and by American Special Forces to become the killer that he is. So he he, he has this... I don't, I don't think the intention is to colonize. I think the That's intent- exactly what he says. He, say, he, he says the intention is to colonize and to run the world the way that we understand how the way that we see fit and he says we, I, I understand their tactics they train me and I will use their tactics against them ah but that's different than saying that we will colonize because you know kind of the idea is to disrupt everything and to destroy but it, the it's idea not... is also to take over ah. I think the idea is to take over and to run the world and and what T'Challa eventually kind of the idea that he comes to at the end is what uh, Nakia has been saying all along which is that we can help the world we're strong enough to maintain our own stability in our own nation but also be open with the world about who we are and what our technology is and use it to help everybody not just black people around the world not just the just the uh, african diaspora but but everybody really and and that's kind of i think ultimately what the what they come to so there's this there's this thing of of there's this conflict between the idea of of like again fighting fire with fire and using the colonizers tactics against them or kind of taking the moral high ground mm. and doing something that is you know, moving on and and doing doing the right thing i don't know i'm, I'm sorry i lost my train of thought slightly but like there, there's another <laughs> but that's that's another that's another kind of central okay conflict so, between killmonger and Shala, which i think well, is really interesting another central conflict i think between them is that you know one is a rich prince from africa and the other is a ghetto kid from oakland california yeah. Right. And I think kind of, you know, one of the things that makes the film so interesting is that it kind of, it brings those two together. So, you know, it really is like a kind, it does have kind of a world scope. But actually, I think it's also interesting that the prince can only come from Africa. 
that you know the idea of an American black prince is almost unimaginable, and not only because the you know the 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 U.S. is a republic. One of the criticisms about the the film has been why are we still kind of using these old monarchical royalist tropes, right? Why can't you kind of imagine, kind of you know a a, a film uh, uh, or a comic book film that requires some kind of like royalty and. You know, because also kind of the idea of royalty and so on is a very hierarchical society, right? So, um, and within an American context, you know, a black person can't be at the top of the pyramid, basically. So it's very interesting that, you know, the film does have this kind of royalist fairy tale thing. Yeah, but it's kind of positing a prince against a ghetto kid one African, one American. Hmm. Um, do you have any problems with the film having that kind of royalist aspect? I mean, it's not something that occurred to me particularly, but um, you know, I guess the kind of idea that like there's there's a I mean, there's a hegemony, isn't there, in in Wakanda? Like it is in some respects. It, it's not the kind of uh, cleanest country. Like it does have a some history of um, kind of violence and. And sort of subterfuge to maintain power. And well, for instance, right at the start of the film, the king uh, is it T'Chaka? Yeah, T'Chaka is the T'Chaka, father. T'Chaka, the father of T'Challa. When he's the king, you know, he kills his brother. Yes. Um. To to he to, doesn't he, he doesn't yes he does the Forest Whitaker character does no the Forest Whitaker character uh, no the brother is going to shoot the dad the king and Forest Whitaker jumps in the way and then t- and to save Forest Whitaker. Ah, the king kills right. the brother. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a whole Lion King thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there kind of is like this fratricide, yeah. and there's the kind of there's the there's the disfigured uh, kind of brother character. I mean, he's, he's actually uh, Killmonger is a kind of classic villain in some respects, and that he's disfigured. Right? Mm. There's a thing of how villains are disfigured in mm. in fiction, and actually, his disfigurement is really interesting because it's these it's these uh, body it's modifications. It's self-imposed. It's self-imposed, right? So it's these body modifications that he's made to himself. It, it, these raised sort of things underneath his skin, and each one of them, each dot, represents a kill. A killing, yeah. And he and he kill he and he he has the name Killmonger. It was given to him as a nickname in the special forces because he killed so many people in Afghanistan and Iraq, and um, and his body is covered with these things. And actually, it reminds me of the of the black skinhead video for Kanye West's song, which and I don't know if it, if that's kind of drawing on on other kind of black or African imagery itself. I don't. I just don't know the history of it if there is one. Um, but it reminds me very much of that. And that, that's a kind of that's his black power sort of anthem, mm. black skinhead, um, and. Uh, but what? But yeah, what's really interesting about those disfigurements to to Killmonger is that they're self-imposed, but they but they come from killing, right? Like killing, the act of killing so much has disfigured him. Yeah, well, you know? he's disfigured himself. He's disfigured yeah. himself, but yeah. like, but then it, that kind of represents like a kind of mental disfigurement as well. Then that that's what he's done to himself. Yes, you know? well, though you know, you get the feeling in the film that that's not what he's done to himself. That's what's been done to him by an American culture that kills or incarcerates black people. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of, you know, so, uh, I mean, basically, those are the two options for black men, basically. You you know, you're either killed, everybody dies in this neighborhood, the, the son says, you know, or you're jailed, which is another kind of killing, really. So, you know, it's, it's a place that doesn't leave much options. No, that's absolutely right. That's a really good point. So, uh, so yeah, like, it's... Because, like I say, he, it's important that he has been trained by America, by the government, to become a killer. Mm. And so that kind of, ultimately, that that is what's left the scars on him. Yeah, but, but not just by the government, by him being an orphan, by his father being killed, by him being poor. And having to go into into that, that world. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, so... I just think all of that is very interesting. And, you know, anyway, so this thing about... It's so much more complex. What do you expect from a Marvel movie? And you get this. Yes, I know. The standard is... Like, it, it's, it's set a new standard for Marvel. You know, That's one, of, one of the things that I, I've just hated, though I should be used to it by now, is there's now a patterning of discussion about films, right? So, you know, a film comes out, 
And if it's like a Marvel film or whatever, all the fanboys come out and they say, oh, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> you know, two days later, somebody will say, oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Right. And it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that and it doesn't do that. And, you know, black man this and fairy tales that and the monarchical this, you know. And actually, I think at a certain point, people get so wrapped up in their own discussions, which actually have to do with other things. It's like, you know, everybody tries to uh, map their own project onto the film. And actually, you know, by mapping their own projects onto the film, the film gets thrown out the window, right? Hmm. It's kind of, you know, their own ideas are developed, you know, and then the film fits into it to this point or not, and it's found lacking or praiseworthy in relation to their own idea of what they think it should be. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't want to do this with this film because I think this is such an important film. I don't think we have been doing it. No, no, I don't think we've been doing it. And I don't it. think anyone's been doing it. I mean, oh, I, I do think people, the thing is, I think... No, we're, we're, I think people have been doing it. Well, I think... I mean, from what I've seen on it, from the discussions that I've seen, like, when you compare it to the way that people have been talking about, for instance, Three Billboards, there's been this kind of classic backlash to it, where it's like, it comes out, it's amazing, and then a couple of weeks later, it's rubbish. And it's like, there's no room in between, and people are just kind of spouting. Um, and and there's, there seems to be no room for nuance. But I think everything that I've seen so far on Black Panther has been uh, really in response to the text of the film. Well... I think I, 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 I'm not sure I agree. I mean, there have been like some fantastic pieces, like the piece in the New Yorker has been fantastic, I think. Um, and, you know, they've all, they've all offered interesting ideas, but nonetheless, I think there is this mapping on of their, you know, their own desires onto the film, which I think is a measure of the success of the film, that it allows and encourages that. But I also think it's a problem. Right. Like, I mean, I think this is an incredibly important film. For one thing, it's the only black superhero film. I mean, when watching it in Sweden, you know, on the one hand, I kept thinking, you know, what do all these Aryan Vikings see in it? <laughs> and on the other hand, I thought, I mean, must can't it be amazing? Like, imagine if you're a black kid in America or the Caribbean or Africa and you get to see this like for the first time. Right. You know, so I think it's not just that it's a black superhero film, mm. but actually, you know, if you think of, you know, a really big budget uh, action film with a black star in it, with all the production values, you know, and with this narrative, I mean, it must be it's amazing. Yeah. Really, you know, it, it weirdly, um, when, you, when you mentioned Thor, it's interesting, like it, it, it's, it's like a counterpart of Thor in some respects, like it's about uh, a, a secret world uh for black people, about black people, yeah, uh, and it's like, and Thor is kind of the same, but for white people, <laughs> yes, it's like, and yeah, I mean, it could well, how much more white could it be? It's set in Scandinavia. Well, not set in Scandinavia, well, for, but it, it's set in Scandinavian myth for a certain <laughs> kind of white person, actually, because you know, I, I mean, I was I was talking to my sister about this yesterday, you know, just out of my trip in Scandinavia, and you know, you realize how all of the ideals of beauty in American cinema and classic Hollywood are really a Northern European ideal. Mm. You know, there are all these kind of tall, blonde people with, like, cheekbones who, you know, end up being the stars, right? Um, and actually, one of the things about this film is that it highlights, you know... Uh, so, on the one hand, it's a, multi, it's a multicultural, multinational cast, right? It's made to, of British actors and American... And Nigerian and South African and yeah, mm. um, and it kind of well, it 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 enables you to see these people in a different way. I mean, they're all very you know they're all very attractive, uh, um, and they're all kind of powerful and they're all really smart, right? And they're funny, right? So there's kind of like a range of characteristics that are brought or or that are. Uh, uh, attributed or displayed or dramatized uh, you know that one rarely gets a chance to see and I think something that's really interesting as well is the film uh, films about good guys and bad guys so very often are, you know the bad guy is just kind of is just villainous the whole way through he's thrown away particularly in Marvel they're just you know how many Marvel villains can you really remember mm. but um, but what this film does is it has uh, it has like a level of empathy for everybody it understands everyone, even even uh, Claw, really, who's the kind of, I suppose, most villainous character insofar as he's just 
uh, kind of out and out murderer and he's mm. there for money you know but even he like he kind of he's portrayed as just enjoying himself mm. and, and having a good time and so like although the film doesn't really say you know you can understand this guy or or, or you should you know he has a point or whatever he doesn't really but he's he's at least having a good time whereas everyone else is the, the film has time for and they have real characteristics and, and personalities and they're rich and and the film kind of enables you to to empathise with everybody mm. no matter kind of what their opinion or who they are yes. like, also the difference between the tribes you know some of them want to be more involved than others some of them they, they have different rooms so for instance the, the, the tribe led by Daniel Kaluuya Daniel Kaluuya's character uh, kind of teams up with uh, Killmonger um, and you understand why right like he has a different opinion on the way that Wakanda should be run and the way that their technology should be used than the rest of the tribes do, mm. and like, and although that kind of makes him slightly villainous because he's teaming up with the with the, the antagonist, you understand him, you understand why he's saying that. He well, has. I'm not sure about that actually. I think that's a weakness in the film because the reason is attributed to uh, uh, T'Challa coming back without claw. Yeah, you know, and and actually, to me, that's not sufficient because actually, we know why T'Challa didn't come back without claw. And it seems to me that, you know, he should have been able to imagine that, that, you know, they just couldn't get him. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you know, so I think, I think um, to betray but his but childhood that friend. But it doesn't mean that you don't understand him. Like he has like, because the reason that he wants Claw to come back, the reason that it's so important to him that Claw is either brought back or killed is because he killed his dad. He lost his dad to him mm. years ago. Well, so that's a, that's a deep seated reason. I, th- I think it's a minor weakness in the film. Because the one who does actually bring Claw back, dead, is, is the one who wins his support. It's Killmonger. Yes. Um, but, so it has a kind of a logic, but I think, actually, I think, uh, um, you know, to me, that aspect of it uh, is, is not uh, You found uh, that lacking. Yes. What about the... Um... But I want to talk oh, about sorry. one thing, because... So I want to get back to this thing about how the film's received, because... One of the things in the 1980s, you know, that was kind of like part of the discourse on cinema was like this notion of the burden of representation with minority uh, films, right? So that this idea that because there were so few black films or gay films or women's films that, you know, like there was a burden of representation on them, that people, you know, that one little film. So, you know, whereas white people, you saw, you saw white people being plantation owners and western heroes and call girls and mothers and blah 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 right the full range of kind of human emotion and also occupations and nationalities and whatever there were so few films about gays or women or black people that you know even their own communities found fault with it because the question was oh well it didn't do this or it didn't do that and of course no one film can do it all and actually, I think that some of the response in relation to Black Panther recalls some of those debates on the burden of representation that, you know, kind of, they're asking things of the film, you know, that the film doesn't set out to do or can't do or, you know. For instance? Well, I mean, you know, this thing about kind of, you know, the representation of black men, of black masculinity. I think the film, you know, has um, so many interesting things that it does with that. Right, that to insist that it doesn't do something else is, you know, part of the sense of, you know, having the one black superhero Marvel film, you know, tr- having to please everybody all over the world. In fact, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like to kind of to be to be de- more demanding of of this, especially within the context of a Marvel film. Mm. You know, I mean, it 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 does sound. It does sound silly to say, but like this is still this is a Disney movie, right? Like that last line that Killmonger has mm. about about the slaves who threw themselves off the ship. That's to to hear that in a Disney movie, like the world is kind of changing a little bit, right? Well, actually, I, I forget where I read this, but there was something about you know uh, that um, the Atlantic was littered with uh, an invisible. Uh, railroad, railroad. Yeah. of corpses of black people, right? That had either jumped off the ship or died on the ship and been thrown off the ship, and mm. yeah. And so that line of Killmongers resonates with that, right? And so you know, to have a mainstream American film 
you know, evoke that and evoke that history, which I think it does, and actually be so critical of the way that things are. I mean, I just think it's an it's a it's an amazing achievement. He reminds me of, of Magneto, Killmonger, in a way. It, 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 in the relationship between Magneto and Doctor X in uh, throughout X Men, um, uh, sorry, Doctor X, Professor X throughout X Men is because um, the, the thing about about X Men was it was always taken to be this this kind of fairly overt representation of or not representation allegory of. Um, of gay civil rights, particularly yes. the idea of gay people being outcast and kind of, but, but being able to hide in plain sight in the way that kind of it doesn't really work with black people because you can tell someone is black by looking yes. at them. So there is this thing in X Men of like you can't tell they're a mutant until you can, yes. um, or until they uh, until they show you whatever it is. Uh, and and so Magneto was very much of this kind of militaristic. Uh, let's fight back. And let's fight back first. kind of thing. And Doctor X was more of a let's integrate and teach the the the, yeah. the, the normal people. Um, normal in quote yes. <laughs> uh, about us, uh, and there is an, and again the, the kind of the, the conversation between T'Challa and Killmonger is very much like that. I think I, I mean I'd love if only there was more conversation between them. They really only have two scenes. It's not my god, but but uh, but, um, but what's better in this is that the thing about Magneto and Doctor uh, Professor X was that they they never really learned anything or changed each other. Right? They just kind of the conversation just went on and on and on. Mm. Whereas in this, like what ultimately happens is is T'Challa changes because of his experience with Killmonger. Yes. And that's really, that's that's fantastic. That's really important. Like, and also the idea of Killmonger isn't coming back, right? Like you have like, for, if you look at Thor and Loki, Loki's just coming back and back and back and back. And there's more and more Loki. But like in this, like you go, okay, so maybe Killmonger should come back and it would be great to see him again because he's such a good character. But actually what, what really, really makes him a great character is that he dies for what he believes in. He dies kind of maintaining that and uh, the fact that he won't come back is it makes him more impactful and more memorable yes and I think it's such a great performance by uh, Michael B. Jordan mm. I mean it's not I, I was a bit torn because you know I was saying oh, I'm not sure if it's a great performance but the thing is he's so charismatic right that kind of it's almost like you lose track I mean you know, in terms of, you know, the, the emotion that he's conveying at any one given moment or just, you know, that he's so charismatic and at moments he's so good and certainly kind of physically he presents such a heroic figure in battle that's just extraordinary, right? Yeah. He, I mean, he is just the most memorable thing in the, in the film, really. There was something else I noted about the, the film's representation of women, which is that Nakia is uh, the love interest of T'Challa. Yes. But she's not uh, She's not a prize to be won, yes. right? She actually, right from the very beginning, they're talking about, oh, I want you to be my queen. And she says, ah, no, no, I'm not interested in that. I have a calling. <laughs> uh, but, but, but she, not only is she the one, she, she believes in Wakanda should behave a certain way. She believes that Wakanda should be open and share its, mm. itself with the world, which is which goes against what, uh, what T'Challa believes. Um, he believes in you know, kind of main, continuing to hide and protect himself, uh, and at the same time he's kind of kind of constantly going, "Oh, be my wife," mm. and and right at the end uh, she accepts that, and she accepts it because he has changed, and and it's and what's important is that she can accept it. She's not just one; she has agency, and actually, you know, th- throughout the film, like there's no question that she is the one who's able to make the choice about whether you know whether she likes him or not. So he steals a kiss. You know, which is a bit cheeky, but then she reciprocates and and like and she, so, you know, so there's no need for a me too moment. Uh, uh, <laughs> I want to um, mention some of the uh, the other people. I mean, I think um, it's it's brilliantly cast, right? Uh, I think uh, uh, um, everyone is uh, very memorable in it, but you know, I particularly want to um, mention Angela Bassett. And Forrest Whitaker as just, you know, kind of iconic presences that are brought to bear on this film and that have a history in American film. And then kind of putting that together with, you know, uh, um, that largely African cast. I mean, one of the things that I loved about this film was the way that people spoke. Right, mm. you know. So when they say, "I never freeze," <laughs> right? Like, I never freeze. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's like a joy uh, to hear, and I loved the sister, 
um, who I, I forget what the name of the, the actress is. And then also that, that other prince who has his own tribe and who challenged T'Challa for... Yeah, I was, I was going to mention him as well. Let me just double check. Winston Duke was fantastic. Mabaku. Yeah, yeah, and he's from Trinidad. So actually, you do get kind of, you know, a full African diaspora represented yeah. uh, in this film. What's it's, really interesting to me about him and his character is his tribe barks, right? And it's this quite deliberate thing. And, and I, was tr- I was thinking about... So they do it throughout, and it's this intimidating kind of war cry almost. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're very, they are kind of warlike, and they're warriors, and they, they separate themselves and live in the mountains. And um, when the CIA guy speaks up, he goes, mm-hmm. and everyone starts barking at him to shut him down. And that kind of made me think, I, think, I don't know how deliberate this is. I, I think it must be. Um, it made me think of how, how when slaves were trying to escape, mm-hmm. um, they would be hunted down with dogs mm. and and it, it, it's rather like so um, it's rather like the uh, um, the insult cracker which I never really understood mm. before when then I found out it's it's about it's about the, the crack of the slave whip yeah um, and how so you refer to white people as crackers because they were the slave masters um, and I think it's I think it's about that right it's it, that, that kind of barking to shut down the CIA guy is about that mm. but then they also do it like the whole rest of the time which is not about that, and it just feels a bit more like the Baha men or something. I don't know. I thought that was wonderful. I thought he was wonderful. I thought the joke about vegetarianism, which yeah. draws on all these prejudices of Africa and preconceptions of African yeah. people and culture. And also, I love how much he can't stop himself laughing at his own joke there. Yes. It's a really wonderful touch. Yes, it is. He finds himself so funny. Um, think, think about Ryan Coogler, right? He's written and directed three films. Fruitvale Station. Which fantastic. Is, which is great. Um, then he then he did Creed, which is kind of it's fantastic. Which is which is yeah, but it's like a it's like an independent movie, but it's about as big as an independent movie gets before it becomes a studio property, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of it still has that independent ethos, but it's also huge because it's a Rocky film. Yeah, and then and then his third film is Black Panther, which is like all with Michael B. Jordan. With all with Michael B. Jordan, you can't make a bigger film than the Marvel movie, yeah. and and to maintain it's again it's rather like in that Thor Ragnarok way. Marvel getting in a real artist and, a, and an individual voice yes. that sings and and because I remember what we said about Thor Ragnarok, it's like it's like Taika Waititi is kind of struggling to break out of Marvel's world and actually not quite successfully. Whereas this, um, most successful. Actually, you know, Ryan Coogler makes it his own. The only grating moment for me in the whole film. It was when that bloody Stanley appears. Yeah. I'm just getting so sick of it. I mean, you know, it's not an endearing thing like, you know, when Hitchcock appears, right? And sometimes actually Hitchcock, you know, would only appear as an advertisement or as a minor thing or, you know, whereas this is giving a scene each time mm-hmm. to that bloody Stanley. I just hate it. And, the, and right. also the thing about Hitchcock was that he... He started to get annoyed with it himself yeah. because people would expect it, and so he had to do it within like the first two or three minutes of his movies. Yeah, because he said people are just going to ignore the movie until I show up. Yeah, so so he kind of understood that this was not a joke anymore; it was too distracting. It is, <laughs> and, and that's I, exactly what the Stanley thing is. Yeah, it is. It's, I just anyway, it's that's annoying. the that's the one thing. Uh, the one thing I wanted to say though, going back to Ryan Coogler and Michael Jordan, is so yeah, this is their third collaboration. He's been in Jordan's been in all of Coogler's movies. Um, I don't remember if this was a detail of his character in Fruitvale Station, but it's certainly a detail of his character in Creed and Black Panther that he grew up without a father figure. Yes. And I wonder if that's important to you. I wonder if that, if that means something to you. I don't I, know. I, th- I think... I, if I remember Fruitvale Station correctly, I think he is... He, oh, I could be wrong, but, you know... Well, first thing, I just don't fa- remember Fruitvale. He's a father, yeah. right? So the whole narrative of Fruitvale Station is himself leaving a child fatherless. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and I also seem to think that, you know, the mother is referred to in Fruitvale Station. I don't remember a father being referred to. Mm. So I think, I think it's not so much, obviously, because the analogy, again, only goes so far because this is a comic book movie. So, um, so the reason that he's grown up without a father in Black Panther is because his dad was killed yes. uh, by um, by his brother. But obviously, it's like it's not like kind of gang violence or anything. Kind of you could really relate to it's it's this kingly matter. So like the the but the, it is related. The, the, the algae only goes so far. But but the, but the 
the point is that the effect that that lack of a father has on the kid is what's important, I think. No, but also it's visualised as a kind of gang violence because if you remember the apartment, they've got guns and mm. you know, they think the police is coming, they're hiding stuff. So actually, I think it is meant to evoke that. Yes. You know? uh, so I think there are continuities, but, but you know, I, I, I think I'm not fit at the moment to kind of pursue or investigate those continuities, really. I think the only thing I want to say is that you know, he's a terrific director in great control of his material. I, I can't imagine anybody else who could have done this film that feels, on the one hand, you know, exciting, it fits into the whole of the Marvel universe, and on the other hand, it's kind of woven through with a depth of knowledge of African-American cultures. Yeah, um, give me one, one second, because there was something else I wanted to bring up, it was about one of those articles, it was about the one that we disagreed with. Um, that, that you uh, that you put on Facebook because as I say this because conversation has been ongoing previous to the podcast uh, is the pa- Black Panther is not the movie we deserve an article in Boston Review by uh, Christopher LeBron which which is a really really thought provoking article there was quite a lot in the article that I disagreed with or thought was was um just kind of slightly wrong headed like you can't do you can't deny someone's experience of the film right like but it's interesting to talk about and um uh, and I think we have actually covered a lot of it already with what we've been saying because it's just informed, you know, kind of what we've been talking about. But um, there's one there's one point in particular where he talks about uh, uh, if one surveys them, this is a quote from the article. If one surveys the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one finds that the main villains, even those far more destructive than Killmonger, die frequently. They're formidable enemies who live to chance a hero again and again. A particularly poignant example is Loki, brother to Thor, the god of thunder. Loki is single-handedly responsible for incalculable misery and damage. His power play leads to an alien invasion that nearly levels all of Manhattan. Yet Thor keeps letting him go, I'm paraphrasing, um, even as Loki tries to kill Thor. Loki even gets his turn to be a good guy in Thor Ragnarok. Loki gets multiple unearned chances to redeem himself no matter what damage he's done. Killmonger, however, will not appear in another movie, as we've mentioned already, he dies. Uh, He does not get a second chance. His black life did not matter even in a world of flying cars and miracle medicine. Why? Perhaps Killmonger's main dream to free black people everywhere decisively earns him the fate of death. We know from previous Marvel movies that Killmonger's desire for revenge is not the necessary condition to eliminate him. Loki seeming permanence is proof. And this idea of, of um, redemption, right? I think, I think what's, what, what struck me about that is that Killmonger uh, doesn't need redeeming, right? Like Killmonger isn't doing anything wrong as far as he's concerned. And, and, and actually the film respects what he believes about himself. And represents. And represents it to the it's point an, where he dies for it. Like actually his death is... Heroic. Right. And poetic. Yeah, I think actually the idea of... I, I kind of... I get the idea that like this... I get the objection to how come Loki keeps getting to live but this guy dies when Loki's far more destructive. But actually... Well, because Loki's not that significant. Loki doesn't believe in anything and yeah. it's not important. It's actually... It's so meaningful when Killmonger dies. Loki is a narrative function whereas, you know, I think Killmonger dying is a kind of... The poeticizing of an idea. Yeah. He's a guy who believes in something meaningful and stands up for it until the end. So like he is a murderer, he's incredibly violent and destructive and he's too far gone to save. But actually he doesn't need redeeming and actually he turned redemption down if you offered it to him. He'd find it insulting. Yes. You know. Okay, good. I think we need to wrap up. I mean I, think, I, I, I mean imagine how much tamer the film would be if the enemy was white. For instance, like it, I, I, I mean the to sort of think about black empowerment of like well, the villain has to die. But like, the, what's more empowering than everybody being black and everyone's kind of opinion being taken seriously, and and the and the the, the issues really being talked about? Well, I think that's why Claw is kind of killed early. Yeah. Um, but we need to wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Final verdict on the film. I mean, you know, there's a lot more we can say. Oh yeah. And we barely scratched the surface, and that really is a credit to the film. It's it's a really rich and rewarding film. It's by far, I think, the best in all of the Marvel Universe so far. Um, any last words over to you, Mike? No, I don't think so. It's really, really good. It's really good in everywhere. I can't think of, of a flaw. Well, this is from a second viewing, so um, if you get a chance, go see it. It'll, it's well worth it on every level. Yeah, but I mean, you should have seen it before listening to this. I'm sure you have, frankly, because everyone's seen it already. Well, all the more, listen, all the more reasons to listen to us then. Yeah. 
Um, we're, <laughs> we're on Facebook, eavesdropping at the movies. We're on Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. We're on, or you can email us, eavesdropping at the movies at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, iTunes and SoundCloud and stuff. Okay. So uh, uh, Get in yeah. touch and all the rest. And like, Thanks. share, and subscribe. Yes. Thanks for listening. Kind of all of the comments have gone to Mike's head now. Yeah. I'm very, I, 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 thank you, everyone who who would decide to get in touch and tell me that I particularly am great because um, <laughs> look, this I have an ego and it needs feeling. Yes, and, yes, yes. Well, facts is facts. And now <laughs> I have been fed. All right, good. You're fat on it. <laughs> See you later. Uh, good.